Welcome to Short Course, episode 53, for March 15th, 2019. I'm your host, Ben Barry. This episode's going to be a little bit odd, just because I, well, so the good news is I got to go out and practice this past weekend, which was good. Got to go out, shoot, weather was nice, uh, and the weather's actually been pretty nice this whole week, but this week has been, we've there's a big deadline at work, and so I have not even dry-fired since Sunday. I got my practice videos edited and then haven't even looked at them since then. Um, so yeah, I've totally been, I haven't been doing anything shooting. So uh, this week is just a couple of things, none of which are really long enough to justify a full episode, but just some some things I've been thinking about related to the sport. And so, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. So the first one is, it's a, it's about the USPSA rules and the 2019 rulebook. And um the fact that they have decided to not print rule books for 2019 and presumably ever again. I mean, that's kind of implied. So, for example, reading from the official USPSA announcement, this will be an evergreen rule book available online and through the free USPSA mobile app available to all USPSA members because we intend to maintain the rules in an evergreen status. Underline, no paper copies will be printed. This will allow interpretations, corrections, and rulings to be updated when implemented and avoid outdated paper copies. Rulings and interpretations will still be published for a week before being effective and will then be added to the online rules. This was accompanied by an email that was sent out to the USPSA mailing list, which is actually, I don't know what the overlap is with USPSA members, um, but you don't have to be a USPSA member to get it. And so this was going out to anybody who's on that mailing list. Um, and they elaborated a little bit here saying, and all the sarcasm in this is entirely in the original, which in my opinion, is pretty unprofessional, but anyway. They say, Rulebooks were not printed in an effort to maintain the rules in an evergreen fashion, meaning that when rulings and interpretations are issued, once they become effective and approved by the board, they will be incorporated into the rule set automatically, without having to go online and search for any updates or changes. In years past, with a printed rulebook, most members and many range officers did not keep up with the rulings. In fact, by the time the 2014 rules went out of effect, three of the division appendices were wrong slash missing information, and probably close to two dozen rules were incorrect because of new rulings. So, carrying that paper copy around in your range bag did you no good unless you, wait for it, went online. OMG, not that! And kept abreast of rulings, board decisions, and division changes and additions, and printed them out. Here's a comment from a social media site from a person who is not enamored of the lack of a printed book, but I think it's telling, quote, most are proactive. Most are not proactive enough to read the changes or the new rules. End quote. That's pretty sad. I'll pause here. I don't even understand what is supposed to be sad there. But anyway, um, continuing. So my question is, why bother to spend the money to print a new book if it's not going to be read? If you're passionate enough about this sport to become a certified range official, you should be passionate enough to keep up with the rules in the system. Likewise, if you're simply wanting to compete, wouldn't you rather be aware of your chosen division's requirements than to travel a fair distance and then get bumped to open because you didn't know the rules, or get disqualified for the same reason? If you wish to print the rules, that's fine, but be aware that they won't stay current forever once they are committed to paper. First of all, the, yeah, the sarcasm is just unprofessional. Like, if you if you feel like you have a good case on the facts, you don't need to be sarcastic about, OMG, not that. Not helping. And honestly, disrespectful in, in an official channel coming from, I mean, this letter isn't signed, but I assume it's either coming from the president, the DNROI, or maybe the the head of communications. But the idea that uh, if you just want to compete, wouldn't you rather be aware of your division's requirements to travel a fair distance and then get bumped to open because you didn't know the rules? We're not saying don't 
have an online rulebook that people can read. I think having a PDF rulebook is fine. But to me, not printing a paper rulebook is not something that anybody was asking for. I think it's standard practice at every major match that I've worked or been to to have a copy of the paper rulebook in the in the stage box on every stage. So if there's any question, you can refer to them. Why, why the impetus to change that now? I mean, this idea that, that, so to me, the, on its face, the idea that the rulebook needs to be evergreen. Okay. Yeah. So there were a lot of class clarifications since the last rulebook was printed five years ago. So let's not go five years between printing rulebooks every two to three years, the way it's been going in this sport since forever. Uh, you know, how many clarifications and changes do we need to make? I, I mean, how about instead of needing to have an evergreen rulebook, how about we just change the rules less often? That that That's kind of my vote. And I mean, is it, I don't know, is it about saving the money? I Is is printing the rulebooks that expensive? I, I mean, I genuinely don't know. Um, but for 40 bucks a year, getting a printed rulebook every two or three years doesn't seem like that much to ask. So I, I just, I don't get it. Um, I don't like it. Um, I think, I think it'll be a very interesting season. Um, they say, you know, earlier in this, this letter posted the mailing list, they say the rules can and should be downloaded to your scoring devices so that they are on hand on each stage that has a tablet running practice score. Yeah. Okay. Most matches do run practice score. That's fine. But most, well, I don't know about most, but a fair number of them use nooks and nooks are not fast. It's not an easy way to search. And I've been a, a certified range officer for five years now, since I got certified in 2014, and I can actually flip through the rulebook pretty quickly. I know kind of the general sections where all the rules are, and having been backwards and forwards through the rulebook, I kind of know my way around. Now, I do keep the PDF on my phone. If I can't find a rule, I just look it up in there, and I've, I've done that before, and I'll still continue to do that, but to me... I just, I don't see the motivation of, of getting rid of the rule books because simply speaking, it is just simpler and faster to use something you can hold in your hands. And the idea that at a major match, you're going to be settling a rules discussion by using the, the tablet on the stage or, you know, using someone's phone, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. And yes, the USPSA app does let you read the rules, but make sure you open the app when you're in service and make sure to download the rulebook because it doesn't work offline. And I don't know how the whole update system works. I guess you have to up, open the app and, and get the latest version. So I have the version as of now, but if I never go in and update it, am I, am, am I, are my evergreen rules going to be out of date? You know, like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I just, I don't see the motivation for it. The stated motivation of evergreen rules so they can make changes more easily uh, does not sound like a perk to me. That sounds like a negative. To me, changing the rules should be hard and done infrequently. And part of the cost of changing the rules should be printing new rule books. And so it should be done with consideration and care. Uh, you know, making, lowering that barrier so you can change the rules more often. Yeah, that, that doesn't, that doesn't fly to me. All right. Uh, item number two, actually, so two and three are both things that have sort of been jogged loose in my mind. They're things that I've been thinking about and percolating about for a while, but the upcoming South Carolina section has kind of shaken them loose. But this is by no means a specific indictment of the South Carolina section. I think both of these are are general trends from what I'm seeing throughout the country, watching match videos and looking at matchbooks and stuff. These are these are general trends that uh, South Carolina section is just an example of. So the first one is 
stages, stage design, and stages being approved by by NROI. So I've talked to a couple different match directors in the area that were trying to run level two matches in 2017 and 2018. And I heard multiple complaints about NROI saying that stages were too hard or needed to be redesigned. And in particular, there's one that sticks out in my mind, uh, a match in late 2017 that was run as a, a level two, the, the T1 championship at Carolina Guns and Gear that had this one stage that was designed to be pretty interesting and had walls sort of cutting through the shooting area. So you had to, you'd shoot on one side of the wall and you, you would either, there were up range to down range running. And so you kind of had to step around them and there were, there were multiples of them. And so it, it was an interesting way to break up a fairly small bay. And I mean, this was, this was one of their days that's maybe 10, maybe 15 yards wide. And so by putting these walls in, they were, they sort of forced you to move around them a little bit more. And I'm told that they were told by DNROI to redesign the stage so that you didn't have walls inside the shooting area because that's a safety issue or something. It wasn't clear. But the, anyway, what's percolated to me from talking to match directors is, is NROI has been not approving stages that around here we run at level one matches all the time. And for fairly mysterious reasons that don't seem to be related to any, any real safety concern. And then other matches, other level two matches, of which South Carolina is, is an example, get stages approved that I think are perhaps not unsafe, but just not great stages. Um, like there's one in particular that has one of these double Texas star, or I, I can't tell, they, they posted a picture when, when, so I made a comment about this on social media saying I was surprised that DNROI approved it. And they posted a picture of this. It's like some kind of, I can't tell if it's a double Texas star with a star on either end, but either way, it's some pivoting system with eight plates on it on this 20 run, 21 round stage. And I mean, a single Texas star is already a pain to reset. So if, if I were a match director, I certainly wouldn't be considering having some kind of eight plate whirly gig thing going. And it's a bummer because this stage, according to the diagram, if I'm reading it right, it actually has some of the sort of single plate swingers, which we haven't seen a lot in USPSA. I actually shot one in an IDPA match a couple of years ago around here. Uh, but it, they've they've been the the range in Ekaterinburg, Russia, the the Archangel Michael Club uses them all the time. And they look super cool. It looks like a really cool prop. So it's a single plate or sometimes a double plate on a on a swinger that gets started. And so you have to time the plate. Um it seems like a neat idea. Uh, I, I look forward to to shooting that target, but it's it's jammed in this stage with this you know double Texas star thing that to me, I mean, in my opinion, has no place at a at a level two match or really anywhere in the sport. But that's my personal opinion. I'm kind of baffled as to what the actual standards are that NROI would approve that, but not some of the other stages that are legitimately challenging and run at local matches here. But all that aside, the the actual sort of point of all this is dovetailing in with all the discussions from past weeks about mental game and, and trying to change my outlook on a lot of these things is what I've realized from talking to some friends is the, the key is, yes, have that opinion about the stage, whether something is a, is a good target or not, or good target presentation, or whether a stage is in your mind a, a good stage or not. You can have those opinions and that's fine. And even, you know, talk about them in a, in a forum like this. And if someone wants to engage in a conversation about it, then that's fine. But on match day, that that's not even in your mind. You, you put that stuff away and you shoot the stages that are in front of you as best you can. And I think I've struggled with that in the past. I think I let my 
feeling about something in general impact my performance as a shooter. So there was a, a match, you know, I can think of a match, a, a level two that I shot a couple years ago where I felt like the staff was doing a particularly poor job. And I, that was actually, I was letting that get to me mentally. And I was more sort of watching the staff than thinking about my own performance. And it just, it, it didn't, it didn't help. It was just noise. And I think in my head, it felt like it was too important to let go. Like this is, this is about the health of the sport. This is about, you know, these kinds of things matter to the sport and, and making the sport better and all that. And those things are true. And it's, it's worth having those conversations and talking to the people who can, who can make a change there. But what I have to remember for myself and to have a good performance is on match day, I can't worry about that. Make note of it, file it away, fine, whatever. But if I want to have a good performance, if I'm thinking about the stages or, or anything else, aside from my performance and my approach to the individual target, if I'm thinking about anything else, then my performance is going to be less than it theoretically could be, less than that theoretical 100% maximum. And so I have to just set all that stuff aside and just shoot the stages as they are in front of me. And so that's a that's an attitude that that I'm going to be taking in um, to this match and any other match in the future, because I will inevitably have opinions about the stages and the the you know the rule books and the match officials. I'm an opinionated guy, so it's always going to be there. But on match day, that stuff goes you know, it goes in a locked box and you put it somewhere else because it's not helpful. And so the third thing here is, and again, the upcoming match has kind of jogged this loose, but I've seen this at other matches and I think it is, it is equal. I disagree with it equally there as here. This is just, this is just sort of bringing it up and bringing it to the front of my mind, which is the idea of three minute walkthroughs at a, at a level two match versus like a level or excuse me, versus five minute walkthroughs at a, at a level two, the idea being, and and I understand why they're doing it. So, so the situation that match directors are in, like South Carolina is a good example of this. They're running 10 stages and they're doing it in a half day format. And so between one thirty and six thirty, we're in the afternoon, for example, my, my squad of eight people is supposed to shoot 10 stages. So that's 30 minutes a stage to get eight people through the stage. So you do the math on that and it's roughly three and a third minute per shooter for all, all eight people on the squad. And so understanding that it's a tight timeline, they're trying to keep things moving. I, I get the motivation to cut walkthroughs down from three to five, from five minutes to three minutes. But what gives me pause about this whole thing is just the fact that of the 10 stages in this match, seven of them are 29 rounds or more. It's a half day format. So I'm going to show up as early as I can and walk the stages as much as I can before it's our time to shoot, but as even assuming that we get the full hour lunch break, that's still not that much time to walk 10 stages against seven of which are 29 rounds or more. And I just, I don't see the the return on investment. So let's say you have a squad of eight people and you're cutting two minutes off the walkthrough. Well, if you could find 15 seconds per shooter somewhere else, right? Because two minutes divided by eight people, 15 seconds per shooter. If you could find 15 seconds somewhere else per shooter, then you get those two minutes back. And to me, the, the walkthrough is really the time when, especially with a, a small shooting area, or I mean, either it's a small shooting area and you got a bunch of people crowding into it, or it's a big shooting area with lots of targets and you're trying to find multiple targets and, and find the little nuances and the little details. Yes, three minutes is enough time to find every target and figure out which position you're going to shoot them from. But it's it's finding the time to, to work out the little more subtle details about, oh, if I engage this array in this order or take this guy coming in or, oh, I can see this guy from two places. Which place do I want to take him from? 
having having time to walk through the stage and see those details, the kinds of things that you actually need to be in the shooting area to see that once you've made once you have that five minutes, then you can burn in your stage plan and, and visualize it and and be ready to shoot. But just to me, trying to compete the best I can, having sixty percent of the normal customary time to look at a, a stage. I don't know. It, it, I'm not a fan, but I understand why they're doing it. And to me, the, the issue is the match directors. It's This is the only sort of lever that they have, the, the way the rules are set up. It's the only lever that they have to sort of speed up the match. They can't, at least not you know culturally in USPSA, they, there's no rule about, say, sight pictures. And, I mean, we're talking, to use the number 15 seconds per shooter, most shooters probably take at least 15 seconds to make ready. Not all of them, but at a level two match, you're, you, you have some more extended make ready, certainly from some people. And if the, the rule was more like IPSC or the culture, I don't know exactly where it is in the rules that that's defined, whether it's a, an actual rule, but you know, the, the idea, so in IPSC, you can't take a loaded sight picture. If you're checking your dot, you have to do it against the ground. And the expectation is when you're given the make ready command, you should make ready and be ready to shoot within 15 to 30 seconds. Again, I don't know if there, if that's explicitly stipulated, but I know the no loaded sight pictures thing is right there in the rule book. So if you're, if we're trying to give match directors tools, the, the reason match directors are using this tool to speed up the matches and get more people through is because we don't give them any other tools. And, you know, again, maybe this is a, a something that the rules could help address. Maybe it's something, I mean, even just more efficient pasting. I mean, you know, 15 seconds per shooter, if you have either more staff helping to paste or, you know, I think I know there's been discussion about systems where you have designated pasters. And so you shoot the stage and then you paste for the two shooters after you, and then you're free to go walk. And, and I mean, if you've ever been to a match and walked down range to paste one target or paste two targets, even at a major match where you, the whole squad is pitching in, you know, that it can be fairly inefficient. Most stages, two or three people can paste just fine. And so I, I think there are efficiencies that, that could be found and give the shooters back the time to look through the stages and, and get every opportunity. Um, but match directors just don't don't have that. And so to me, it, it looks like that's the, the, the length of the walkthrough, sort of the one lever they have to speed things along. And so they're using it for understandable reasons. But if we as a sport can figure out something better, I think I would like that. I think having more walkthroughs would give people a chance to perform better have more interesting results. I mean, it's just, it, it's better for the sport, but match directors are doing what they can with the tools they have. So I can't really blame them. So the one last item here is about the run DVC shirt that we sell in the, in the web store at barryshooting.com slash shop. I actually got a question this week from somebody asking if we had, if we, I think that if something about, have we, have we engaged in a partnership with uh, Run and Gun Apparel, who just launched a Run DVC shirt. So it's it's a take on the old Run DMC shirt, uh, you know, with the red bars and the white text and everything. And there's a, there's been a million ripoffs of it. And honestly, the 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 reason we made that shirt is I would see all these that were like Run G19 or Run Nine Millimeter, and and none of them really rhymed. And I just I was just turning this over in my head, and I was like, what you know what what's most similar to DMC? Run DMC. Oh, Run DVC, of course. And this was sometime last summer. And so I started Googling it and I was actually kind of surprised that nobody, it seemed like such an obvious joke to me. It seemed like I was surprised that nobody, nobody made that shirt yet. And talking about this to Stephanie, my wife, she's like, oh, that's actually pretty funny. And she wrote that down. And then, 
you know, over the next every week or two, I'd come up with another shirt idea and she'd write that down. And eventually she was like, you've got like, this is enough. Like we should start actually making some shirts. And so we started trying to find a vendor and do some test prints and and get the sizes right and play with them. And so, you know, at this point we've got, uh, when I looked at the store earlier today, I think it's 13 designs right now. Um, run DVC is just sort of the one that kind of kicked it all off. So, you know, I'm not claiming that I like came up with that idea or that it was original. I mean, when I looked, I couldn't find anybody else making it, which I'm glad because it kind of got us thinking about making our own shirts. And now we make all kinds of other stuff. We got CZ shirts and Tanfolio shirts and, and a lot of other sort of USPSA specific stuff. So, um, but no, we're, they, there was, I, I don't even know. I mean, the run and gun apparel people, I, I checked, they do follow me on Instagram. I don't think they followed me when I first posted about the shirt back in November. Uh, but I think they started following me sometime since then. I, you know, you can't really tell from Instagram, but, um, so, you know, I don't know where they got the idea, but I mean, it's, you know, it's a cool idea. I, I looked and when I was Googling around, it looks like STI is also now selling a, a run DVC shirt. So, you know, the idea is getting out there, but I mean, if you want one, we sell them at barryshooting.com slash shop. We charge 20 bucks for them. Uh, I think run and gun is like 24, 25 and STI wanted like 30, which, but I mean, it's got like American flag on the sleeve and something on the other sleeve and the STI logo and everything. So it's much more STI branded, but yeah, if you want one of those, that one and the other 12 some odd designs are, are 20 bucks on our, on our shop. And then we actually do short course podcast shirts that are 15 and I think shipping on anything up to, I know two shirts is definitely four bucks. I think, I think that even includes three, three shirts. So if you want two shirts for 44 bucks shipped, you can get a run DVC or a splits get chicks shirt or an alpha male shirt or a got Mike's shirt. And we've got the CZ and the Tanfo shirts too. So I know I've said it on the podcast before, but if you've gotten some value out of the podcast or you just want something funny to wear to the match, take a look. If you like any of the shirts there, buy one. If you want to support the podcast by getting the brand out there and wear a shirt, then we've got them. We've got light ones and dark ones. And like I said, they're, they're 15 bucks. So a little bit cheaper for those. Well, that wraps up this episode of Short Course. I post videos of my matches, usually the Tuesday after the match, on youtube.com slash binberryuspsa. My email is podcast at barryshooting.com. Talk to you next time.